now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guests are Dr. David Bettenhausen and Carla Bogny-Kidd. Dave and Carla have been close friends since 1998, and while meditating, they both had spontaneous memories of 29 past lives together. They went on to get past life regression training with Dr. Brian Weiss, and now they spread the message of love and kindness and teach holistic approaches to healing. Dave and Carla, thank you so much for being my guests and welcome. Thank you for having us. Yep. It's an absolute pleasure. Likewise. Can you guys give us a little bit of your background on how you started meditating and then go on to discover that you had all these past lives together? So it it really started... We, were, we had a small medical office. Carla was my office manager. And my real stress for me started when we implemented uh, electronic medical records. We'd already been through HIPAA, lots of other rules. It was getting worse and worse. But the electronic medical records set it off for me. It As that started, it became almost life-absorbing. It got to the point where during the training and doing that and trying to get it started in the office that I was coming in at five in the morning, opening up the computer, starting to set things up, finishing parts of the charts before patients got there. And sometimes I wasn't done till seven o'clock at night. The first three to four months, absolutely horrible. I became really not a pleasant man to be around. And maybe Carla will fill you in on that. Mm. Well, um, we're not young people, so electronic medical records was quite, you know, we had computers, but we were used to charts and, you know, pens, and when everything had to be computerized, it was just too much, and I like to say that Dave is a cross between, you know, Yogi Bear and Fred Flintstone, so he's fun, you know, he's easy to be around, it was so much stress, though. I got shingles. I got past that. But um, Dave was just, you know, unapproachable. So I finally went into him one day and in a very unlikely publication, um, AARP, I found an excellent article on meditation and all the benefits. And I said to him, what do you think? Should we try this or should I call a counselor? And he said, I'll try meditation. I said, well, we could do it as an office. So we all started early, seven o'clock in the morning. Um, we arrived or 7.30 in the morning. And um, we did it for like a half an hour. And the first day, the other girls joined us. And, you know, we all talked about how difficult it is to close your mind. Uh, but meditation has so many great benefits to it um, that Dave will talk about later um, that we thought we would do that. So the second day, we did it again. And we all talked about um, it was easier we saw um, bright lights and shapes and colors. And then the third day, the girls said, eh, we don't want to come in early. We'll do it at home. So Dave and I decided we'd go ahead and, and meditate anyway. So we did indeed. And at eight o'clock or shortly thereafter, we heard patients coming in. So we got up and we went to our adjoining offices and Dave came up behind me and he said, Carla, I know you're going to think I'm really crazy, but while we were meditating, I think I was talking to your mother. And he got my attention because I've always been rather open-minded. I've been to some psychics and mediums over the years, and I always thought that there was something more to, um, you know, just death. And But um, I thought, well, why is my mother coming to him? Why didn't she come to me? Mm -hmm. And she had been gone for like 18 years at that point, and Dave never met her. 
So he said, she looked like you from sideways. You guys had the same eyelashes. And um, he said, and she was jovial and laughing and showed me a shoe. And of course, that gave me an idea. I went over to the computer. I Googled ballroom dancing shoes and maybe 60 pairs showed up. And I said to Dave, point out the pair you saw. And he went over to the exact pair. My mother was a ballroom dancer. She wore a particular pump her entire life with an open-toed sandal. She'd wear it for ballroom dancing to church and for dress up. And I, my sister also worked in the office with us. And we looked at each other and thought, hmm. And then my sister went back to a purse, got a picture of my mother, brought it up, turned it to Dave, and he got very emotional. And we said, why are you so emotional? He said, this is who I was talking to. So, of course, all we wanted to do was meditate to see if we could get back to it. Dave had no idea he had this ability. Um, this was our first, you know, try in the office. So I'll let Dave tell you what else happened. So just to touch on people, benefits of meditation are, are fantastic. Um, it lowers blood pressure. It lowers blood sugar. It increases dopamine and serotonin which are the same drugs we give people who have depression. So it elevates your mood. Um, it actually decreases cortisol. It's just one of these aside benefits for me. The stress of being in practice for so long, I had put on so much weight. And I kind of set a goal when I started to meditate, but it worked. It decreased the cortisol. And I set a goal to lose two pounds a week. And a year later, I was 104 pounds less. And he's now, kept it off. And I've kept it off for, you know, seven years or eight years now. Um, so it does make a difference in life. It also lets you get in contact with your inner self. It lets you shut off the outside world, lets you manage anxiety and those kind of issues. And for us, we found a portal to a world that's different than what we expected. And so what happened early on with meditation is I, I met Carla's mother and then I had a memory and it was so vivid, but I was running on a beach in Boston. And as I'm running on the beach in Boston, before that, I had the memory of getting in the car and sedan with my father when I was three years old and driving all the way across the country from Nebraska, where I lived to Boston. And I was running on this beach in Boston I was yelling and screaming, and this little girl ran over and pushed me down. She sat on my chest. She gave me a kiss on the forehead. She jumped up, put her hands on her hips, and she yelled, be quiet, you're bothering my family. And I laid there on the ground looking at this little girl with this little two-piece blue ruffled bathing suit with her little pot belly sitting over. And I, I was staring at her. And as I'm staring at her, I'm telling Carla and Paula the memory. They both asked me, when were you in Boston? And then Carla said, that was me. We All these years we had worked together, Dave had never mentioned ever being in Boston. We were born and raised in Boston. And I had a chill go up my back. I didn't have to meditate to have that memory. I was from a good Catholic family. My parents didn't get divorced. I was the youngest of six girls. Um, they kept breaking up and getting back together. But on that particular day, we were not well off. My father rented two cabs and we went to Revere Beach. And as Dave told the story that day and he described the beach, Revere wasn't just sand and water. There was an amusement park with it, a Ferris wheel. And as he told that story, I mean, Paula and I were understanding exactly what beach 
he was referring to. And then when he got to that part, I remembered it because when we arrived, I didn't have a bathing suit for whatever reason. All of my sisters did. So we went across the street to a little souvenir shop and my parents really could not afford to buy me this bathing suit, but I got my first brand new two-piece blue ruffled bathing suit. So for Dave to know that, I mean, this was another aha moment. We couldn't believe it. And of course, we continued to meditate because we just were so curious. If you don't mind, can you tell us real quick, what type of meditation were you guys doing? No particular kind. And when we taught meditation, this is what we would tell people, you know, just like reaching God, all you need is yourself. You need quiet. We use music like spa music because I have a hard time shutting my brain off. Dave doesn't need that. You just need peace and quiet. You need to religiously meditate. Take the time. If you can do 30 minutes or 20 minutes perfectly, shut your mind off. No devices, no TV, no outside world. Close yourself off and allow the spiritual world to, to um, connect with you so that you can realize who you are and what you really think and not be bombarded by what the entire other world tells you, how you should think, how you should act and what you should do. So no particular meditation, yourself, peace and quiet and music if that works for you, but you don't have to have music. Yeah. You know, Buddhists meditate with their eyes open and I can't, I, I can't seem to do that. It's being closed, shutting off everything. I actually focus. It feels like my eyes focus backwards. And that's what I usually tell people. Um, anyway, it was, it was very interesting because we kept meditating. And then there came a day where I had this, another memory. And so I had to tell him about the memory. I, I was standing in an alley and I'm looking across the alley and I see Carla. Now, when I say Carla, it looks like Carla, sort of. I could tell from her steel blue eyes it was her. But I, but she was much younger than I ever knew. Um, still blonde. <laughs> oh, you're still thin. Blonde. But she had on a little gold band around her head and, and fringed flapper skirt on. And I'm staring at her across this alley in the dark. And I see two large flashes. And then I feel a thump against my chest and I realize I've been shot and I'm thrown back in the alley and I'm dying. And I tell Carla this memory. And again, I still think that maybe I'm on the verge of being a nut. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, <laughs> I, I've been a physician. I'm having these strange experiences. I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know where I'm connected to what's going on. The next day I get more of the memory. And I learned that I met her at a wedding. And at the wedding, I asked her to, and the wedding I met was a man named Angelo. And I got invited to this wedding and she was the singer at the wedding. And I met her at the reception and I asked her out to breakfast because I had remembered seeing her walking around in Chicago where I worked. And when I, and she went to the breakfast and we went for this long walk along the Chicago coastline. And we're talking about the wedding of Angelo. Then we're talking about how she moved from Bullock, Georgia, and that her name was Ruby Donaldson. And her parents' names were Anna and James Donaldson. And she worked at DeAndre's Bar or Speakeasy. And that, and that this man named Angelo was her boss. 
And I'm telling Carla this, and Carla just, she's Carla, so I'll let you t- let her tell you what she did. Well, like a lot of people, I just wanted some proof. I wondered, you know, what was happening. So I was off one day and I got on to Ancestry.com. And, you know, luckily Dave gave me these details because one wouldn't think, but Ruby Donaldson is a very common name in, in Georgia and, and especially during that time. But I found Ruby Donaldson born in 1904 to James and Anna Donaldson, one of 11 children. Hmm. So we had it corroborated. And then... Um, I found newspaper articles from Chicago um, for the marriage of Angelo Jenna to Lucille Spinola, January the 10th, 1925 at Ashland Auditorium in Chicago. That was the date that Dave had given me that he had met me. So we had that proof. Uh, There were other pictures of the wedding cake. And we did not know that Angelo Jenna was the head mobster um, of the North End right before Al Capone. You know, we're not mobster aficionados we had no idea so anyway we had some solid you know evidence so i told dave yeah and so we kept meditating and soon in in our first book that we wrote is uh, the gift of past lives with mother isabella god and elizabeth and soon i met isabella who is my spirit guide and isabella explained to me that she had been with me for six thousand years through all of my lives. And with with that information, and then soon, we did have an experience with God during meditation, and we met Elizabeth during meditation, who was Carla's spirit guide for the last 6,000 years. And Isabella started giving us lessons, including as we were learning more and more of our past lives. And soon I found 42 different past lives Carla found 34, and we found 29 where we had been together. That started us off on a journey. And and being very curious, I wanted to know more because I wanted to prove I wasn't crazy. So we started looking at research that had been done, some at the University of Virginia, at the Department of Perceptual Studies by Ian Stevenson, Jim Matlock, uh, Jim Tucker, since 1950s. And we also read things from um, Dr. Brian Weiss. And we actually finally went and got training with past life regression because we wanted to meet other people who had some experiences like us. But Tucker's and Ian Stevenson's research had found about 2,500 cases of kids who had spontaneous memories of past lives. And they would go in and they would test these kids and they were able to verify about 2,500 of them where these kids that were three and four were telling stories that they couldn't have possibly known about someone else that they couldn't have possibly known. We know that past life regression can be a little bit uh, subjective. And sometimes people have memories of TV shows and other things during hypnosis, but you really can't coach a three-year-old. And when Stevenson went in, he would show the kids a picture of the dog that somebody else had. Now, he wouldn't show them one dog. He would show them a picture of five dogs and say, do any of the dogs look familiar? And the kids would pick the dog that the person in the past life had owned. They would show pictures of houses and the kids would pick the house. Now, the kids weren't 100% correct, but they were 80 or 90% correct, which was way higher than, than you would expect by chance. 
And so he started to document, and then he started to document personalities that these people had. And he found that some people had scars where they were killed in their last life. They found them on autopsies. They found people who had memories. There's a young man who had a memory of being a fighter pilot, and he could name people on the pl- on the same boat, and he could name that he went down in off the coast of Japan. They found the boat. They found the roster of the boat. The people's names on the roster were the same as the three- or four-year-old would remember, and there was only one plane that went down off that boat off the coast of Japan, and that man was the man who said, my name was James in his past life. Those kind of things started to pop up. And those experiences and the experiences and the lessons that Isabella started to teach us are all the things that we have sort of come through and have helped us write our books. When you encountered Isabella, do you just hear her voice or do you see her as well? I have seen her. When I see her, I really see her from a side view. And so I, I, I have now got a picture of what Isabella looks like to me, I'm going to say I more feel than I see. And I more hear, feel. So there are times, and Isabella's told me over time that I have to always try to confirm because the communication isn't like listening in English now. It's, it's, it's like you start to feel it, then you hear words and you try to verbalize the words and Carla sits there and tries to write words down and then try to make, then we try to make sense out of them because sometimes it isn't as easy as that. Now it's gotten better and easier because I can understand her better now. Um, early on, she was trying to teach us about the five simple rules for living. And it's all karma re- related, but it was try to live a life without conceit, selfishness, jealousy, and unforgiveness, and make all choices out of love. If you do that, you can get off the karmic wheel and not have to continue to repeat. And Isabella's also taught us from the very beginning that this is God, Tao, source creator's purpose for all of all of this is that we all need to learn and grow to learn compassion. And we learn those by facing adversity. So the world, and we create some of the adversity ourselves. that's how we learn compassion. And that's really what karma is about. So we have a chance in each life to continue to grow. Isabel has also given us a lot of lessons based on, one of them is evolutionary change. That's really growth over time. That's really what karma is, growth over time. And one of the first lesson she taught us was that, you know, the human creature or our species, Homo sapien, existed for thousands of years. But it took a long time for that species to evolve and finally reach a point where it could have communication that was strong enough to do one thing that no other creature had done before. And it's the one part of communication that humans have that no other creatures do, because certainly dolphins can communicate. Certainly bees can communicate. They spin one way to say foods that way. They spin the other way to say foods that way. But humans can communicate 
something that no one else can, which is a promise to do something today and still keep the promise tomorrow. That That's what differentiates, differentiates us from species that live basically on instinct. So at the time humans could start to make a promise, she says, God, source creator, sends a soul down because that soul can now understand what the Bible, if you want to go biblical, says is a covenant. If you do something today, you can be rewarded tomorrow. And it's really what all of mankind is really working on right now. And so God's plan is chance after chance till you can grow and then return back as the spark of love you were created from God. And, and that's what the lesson we're trying to get to people and trying to reach out to people that you're going to be here again. And just like the example for Carla and I, we return in small groups. And when I say small groups, certainly the core group around you returns with you frequently. So you're going to see your loved ones again if they die. But that actually spreads out to the point that almost all of us are connected and we're all connected through God. We're all connected to God through our spirit guides, which are really branches of us reaching out, branches of God reaching out. And karma should not be mistaken for punishment. Karma is a second chance to get it right. And in our first book, we talk about 20 of our past lives. But at the end of each one of those lives, we give the reason that we returned again so that you can see um, it wasn't you know, it wasn't a punishment to return. It was to give us a second chance. And Dave and I have not always been um, like husband or wife. We've been brother and sister. We've been, um, I've been his mother. Um, yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm his mother now. Mm -hmm. No, but anyway, <laughs> you know. Um, In the office, that was true. Yes. In all <laughs> types of instances, so that you can learn, because how else do you learn if you don't walk in another's shoes? Now, Carla, you are Catholic, and I'm not sure. I would, if, yeah, I'm Catholic. I was, I was Catholic, Mormon, Methodist. All right, and Dave, sounds like you're still Catholic. How does reincarnation fit in with Catholicism? Okay, so that's a great question, Jeff. And I'll just mention, we wrote our second book, which is Hell No Reincarnation, hmm. as we tried to reconcile the Catholic upbringing with reincarnation. And... We went through and started reading the Bible, studying the Bible more, trying to figure out how things fit. And there are lots of quotes in the Bible that are at least hint at the idea of reincarnation. If you start to do the research, you realize the Jewish faith is based on a tenet of reincarnation and that, the, and that reincarnation is still taught in the Kabbalah. And then you start to look at church history and we find that in church history, in the year about 200 AD, um, origin of Alexander, actually, he's the man who wrote almost all the early church doctrines for the Christian Catholic Church. It's all kind of, kind of Catholic Church at the beginning. And his, his writing says that he believes that Jesus is from God, not necessarily God, that um, transmigration of the soul is necessary and that the soul lived before it was born at while it's born 
and after it's born. And then we, of course, did some research because we're looking at everything and we were looking at near-death experiences. And certainly there are a lot of near-death experiences that speak of beings of light and or God or Jesus or other um, experiences with angels, et cetera, which are all non-physical, non-materialistic entities that are existing. Certainly NDDs talk about meeting their loved ones in another in another realm. And then went back to Ian Stevenson's and Jim Tucker's research, and they don't have a lot, but they do have some children who have intermission memories between lives. And as we were looking at those, many of those children talk about meeting passed over loved ones. They talk about beings of light and planning their left, next life, doing past life reviews, which also show up in near-death experiences. And then Isabella started to let us experience some time between lives ourselves. And actually I got to watch a time between lives of my father who passed away. And it was very interesting because in a past life, my father had been a slave trader and he had traded slaves and put them in the bow of his boat and chained them to the boat and brought them to America. In the next life, he was actually my father in that life in Chicago. And what happened was my mother died during childbirth. So he was separated from his family. And then I was killed. Again, he was separated from his family, much like he had done to the slaves. And in this life, my father was a wonderful man. And we went to graduate school. That's why we went to Boston. He became a high school principal. He was really a very nice man, helped children all the time, helped guys get through school. But he spent the last 20 of his years chained to a wheelchair, much like he had chained people in his, the bow of his boat because he had Parkinson's. And his real lesson was, don't let being chained in the boat, chained to your chair, change who you are. And he really became a man that was still a good man, even when chained to the wheelchair. So those are the lessons of karma. And those are lessons you learn in your intermission period, or we call the time for atonement, or the past life review, where you're, you're given lessons to help you learn in your next life. And people a lot of times ask this question, but we, we don't remember our past lives. Here's what's interesting, Jeff. What happens even in this life? So the first time you burn yourself, it's hot. You remember that in your subconscious. The next time you burn yourself, you pull back faster because it's already saved in your subconscious and it happens automatically. What happens with past lives is they're saved in that subconscious. That's why people have sometimes bring that consciousness up. And what happens is we found that there's increase in alpha and theta waves in the brain. This is my doctor thing coming out. But there's increased alpha and theta waves when you meditate, which are always there when you have memory. There's increased alpha and theta waves when you have past life regression hypnosis. Those waves go up and you have 
subconscious memory, the time between wake and sleep, you have increase in alpha and theta waves and people have memories and dreams of past lives. And all of those dreams surface from your subconscious, just like it does when you touch something that's hot. So those past life memories can still be protective, even if you don't always remember them. For me, it means I should remember not to stand in a dark alley with men pointing guns at me, yeah. because that happened in a past life. Right. You know, and, and you start to learn lessons. And Carla was saying how we kind of cataloged our lives and we included them in some of our books. We found patterns in all of these lives. There's a, a life in as a Viking where we're fighting the Scottish. The next life we're Scottish fighting the English. Mm -hmm. And the next, like, we're English and we're actually fighting the Scottish so that we're actually living on the same or different sides of the same wars. That's how you learn compassion. That's what karma is about, learning the other side. Um, Carla's had interesting lives. And, and we found, you know, throughout history, women have been oppressed. And in the next life, you need to overcome that oppression. Um We've learned lessons like, you know, a lot of times alcoholism is passed through families. And sometimes the grandfather will return as the son to the, to the man who was the grandfather's son. I know that sounds confusing, but because the grandfather will become alcoholic, the father will become alcoholic. And then, of course, the son now has an alcoholic father because someone has to break the cycle. That's the part of karma, because the person who overcomes that has now broken the cycle and doesn't pass it on to their kids. And those are the kind of lessons that we've learned as we go on through 42 lives for me and 34 for Carla. And then we found that we return in groups. Maybe I'll let Carla even talk about that. Well, we returned in what you call a soul family um, and normally in two categories, um, either a family mate or a karmic mate. So a family mate like Dave and I are to each other, we work well together. So, um, you know, you wouldn't want to live in a life where everybody is against you and there's no pleasantry. Um, so we work well together. Or you could have a karmic mate. And we told you about the life in Chicago and my boss was Angelo. And Angelo owned me. I was his flapper. He owned me in every way, shape and form. But in this life, um, I married him. He was my first husband and he was also possessive and I had to walk away from him. He couldn't own me. That was my lesson. I learned to do that. Um, and luckily we can still talk. We did it in the correct way. Um, but in, so again, karma is not meant as punishment. It's again, a chance to get it right. Um, you don't have to get divorced and hate each other. You can get divorced and still be loving and kind human beings to one another. But um, my sister has been my sister many times. My mother and I have taken turns. We've actually been each other's mother like eight times. And Dave can talk to her regularly. So I always joke and say, well, I was your mother first. Mm -hmm. um, but so, you know, it, we do get to see our loved ones again. Um, sometimes they come back to us. Um, it, this is kind of a strange situation, but um, my father, I wasn't very close to in this life. One of the things that they have you do during your life review is to apologize 
to the people that maybe you harmed in that present life. And even if you're not able to hear them, um, they are supposed to do that because that's part of the healing. And um, I was meditating one day and I heard somebody just as clear as anything say to me, I'm sorry for what we did to you. So I asked Dave and, and Dave asked Isabella and she said, well, that was your father. He's getting ready to come back to another life. And um, he actually is in a life to somebody that I know. He, he is, interestingly, he's a woman this time. He is a little girl right now because he needed to learn what he caused to his wife and his six daughters. So he's coming back on the other side because what better way for someone to learn what girls go through when they don't have a strong father than to come back as a girl. Hmm. So your soul families, you know, they can extend out just a little bit, but you may interact with somebody in the grocery store. For some reason, you have a connection with them um, or, you know, somebody you work with. Our soul families all around us. So be nice to everybody. Is there a certain age when you start repaying or reliving your karmic debt? For example, do even children live out karmic debt as children? To some extent, yes, Jeff. Now, this is always a little touchy for people, but certainly there is still that concept of the age of responsibility. So you don't put you know, children usually that, that like die young or have horrible things when they're young, usually that's about a lesson for someone else. Um, Dave, but, let, me, let me tell the yeah. story. In our past life in Chicago, our very last life, Dave and I were brother and sister. Um, I was Katie and he was Johnny. I was six and he was four. And our family um, home had three stories and we were playing on Christmas Eve on the third story balcony. Our mother was downstairs wrapping presents. Our father was in World War II. He was a fighter pilot. And we fell to our death that day. Both of us broke our necks. And um, when we asked Isabella, as we were writing that story, because that story is in um, Hell No Reincarnation, as we were writing that story, um, we asked Isabella, you know, what did we do as little kids? Why would that happen? What what could we possibly have done wrong as little kids to have to die early? And Isabella said, that was not your lesson. Little children um, are not accruing karma like an adult. But your father was killing children and and not just soldiers in World War II. He was killing everybody. And your father had to learn that lesson that sometimes you have to feel what it's like. If you were the enemy over there, you were losing your wife or your children or your grandmother, mother, whatever the case was, he needed to feel that. So he came home and he had his wife, but he no longer had his children. Well, luckily he had children again, but we're infinite beings. We come back again. It's not permanent. So if you lose a baby, that baby may come back to you. Um, I lost a baby early on, and that baby actually is a daughter of my my very good girlfriends. So you, we don't have to worry that they're in some sort of hell or terrible place. They're not. They're in a really good place. They're with God. They're with Jesus. They're um, they're happy. They don't want for anything. Near-death experiencers will say, the majority of them say, we didn't want to come back. We were told we had to come back because it wasn't our time. So we don't have to worry about those things. 
Carla just said something that I remembered. It's it's in Hell No Reincarnation. So I got to tell you just a little story. Again, this is a this is biblical. In the Old Testament, it's called Sheol. And for the Jewish people, Sheol is just the place dead people go. It was also written as Hades when it was written in Greek, which is just the place dead people go. It's not a, a positive or negative event. And then Jesus in some of the writing in the uh, New Testament discusses Jehenim or the Valley of Jehenim or Hinnom, depending on how it's written. That's a physical place. That's actually the ditch outside of Jerusalem. It's the it's the drainage system. Jerusalem was a very tall built place. It had a, a round circular drain, and it dumped into the Valley of Jehenim. So it had a lot of combustible trash and excrement and whatever. It was also the area in old Jer Jewish history where the kings of Judah would place their illegitimate children and burn them and kill them because they weren't allowed to have them. And then it's the place that Nero used to burn and persecute Christians. But it was a physical, actual place. And so when it got to the King James Bible, King James's wife was of Germanic descent. And the, the pagan god of the underworld's name was Helia. And so the King James Bible translated the Valley of Jehenim, she Sheol, and Hades all to the term hell and called it a real place that people could go to suffer and burn. And it became the place to control you if you were not a good Christian or a good Catholic like we were raised. You had to go to hell. Well, the reality is the hell is something you create now. You know, you're going to create some of the problems you're going to face in the next life. If you're, if you, if you're unfair to people, there are going to be some unfairness that you may have to overcome in your next life. We found all these patterns. We found that we've been black and white in past lives. We've been slaves and slave owners because you have to live both sides. You may create yourself in your next life as a slave. Now, Luckily, slavery is becoming less of a global issue. It's disappearing. But you could still be slave to your boss who's, in, who's inappropriate. You could become slave to your husband or your wife. You, you could allow them to control you. And what do you, you have to do? be a slave to alcoholism or drugs. Yeah. Correct. And so you could still be controlled. So your goal is to overcome that. And it actually could be even considered conceited if you do not overcome that and you let someone else take care of you or boss you because you're supposed to be your best self, that's part of the, the journey through this. What is your opinion on past life regression therapy? And as a physician, have you ever considered moving into that you know, type of treatment? Well, Carla and I both went for past life regression training with Dr. Brian Weiss. And we don't do it for a living. We don't do it and charge people. We do it for mostly family and friends. And we did it because the experience at the Omega Institute where we went to train was great because there were 150 people being trained by Dr. Weiss and his wife. And most of these people had had past life experiences and memories. And so 
we got to interact with a, with people very much open-minded, which really helped us. Now, I'm going to let Carla talk about one of her experiences there because it talks about the value of past life regression. Well, first of all, um, the wonderful part was that these people came from all over the world. The United States is very behind in the belief of reincarnation. The other countries are not. Um, and I happened to regress one girl who was a social worker from Chile. And her hospital sent her there to learn past life regression to help those um, at the end of their lives pass over. What a wonderful thing. Instead of being scared that you're dying, she was there to assist them to understand that it was simply a jump from here to the spiritual world. And she had done, they had done it before and would do it again. But this particular girl, I, this was, um, we had not, all of Dave's and my experiences were through meditation and pass and, uh, um, so spontaneous memory. So we had already written our first two books before we actually went and had this training with Dr. Brian Weiss. So this part was new to me, even though I had regressed Dave and not realized that that's what I was doing. So this girl, um, the very first life I took her to, I was very <laughs> not expecting it. It was during the time that Nero was persecuting and they had, the Romans had come in and taken her son and she was so scared that her son who was like three years old was taken and and she wanted to find her son and she was upset with her husband because he wasn't helping her he was afraid of the romans and during that time i i jumped her ahead and unfortunately i jumped her right to the area where um her son had been killed and but so i jumped her past that and and during regression one of the things that you know is very helpful is when you ask them was it a happy life? What did you learn? You know, what was the silver lining in that life? And they can always come up with something. They always see some good because, you know, their personality is not exactly like it is down here. You know, when you're in the spiritual realm, you're different. You're more upbeat. Um, but she said that in this life, the guy that she's presently engaged to was her son there. And she never realized um, in the beginning, she was very possessive of him and she wouldn't let him out of her sight and it was causing problems. And now through this past life regression, she understood it's because she lost him during that life and she didn't want to lose him again. So those feelings are there often. A lot of times you behave in a way um, because it's you're carrying it over from someplace else. So um, for her, that was that was interesting and beneficial. Yeah, and for a lot of people, there's some healing that happens during past life regression. Have you guys ever been regressed to find out that you had a life together as an extraterrestrial on other planets in other realms? I'm going to tell you, no, Jeff. Oh, darn. Okay. <laughs> I know. So, so Jeff, but I'm going to, but I'm going to explain a little bit that Isabella has explained to us. Um. So realizing a lot of people have had out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, astral traveling type experiences, um, the experiences that we've had with past life memories. All of these are occurring in a non-material realm where you experience something that is not of this world. So certainly, an abduction experience could seem a lot like an astral travel experience because we don't find for those people with that are abducted, usually we don't find 
any physical evidence of the abduction, but they, but they leave their mind, their body feels as if it's left this world and is somewhere else. And when you're in the non-physical world, beings seem like they're beings of light. They have amorphous shapes. They don't seem normal. Frequently, their eyes don't seem there. Their There's lights, dark spaces for their eyes. Lights shine through because you don't know how to interpret that because what you're feeling is telepathic and it can only be described by the earthly experiences you've had. So you fill in part of the pictures. Your perception tries to draw a picture. You see crystalline figures. You see lots of light. You see reflections of light. All these are experiences that people who feel they've been abducted frequently report. It's some of the experiences that people with near-death experiences report, and they can only report what they understand and perceived from the life they're having in the physical plane. People ask, why, why do some near-death experiences people see Jesus, and why do some not? Well, if you're atheist and you die, you don't expect to see Jesus. You don't have a picture of Jesus in your mind. And you see some sort of vision of people. You remember your mother, but Jesus isn't important to you, so you may not see Jesus. So you don't report seeing Jesus. If you're Christian, you kind of expect that when you die, that Jesus is there greeting you at the gate, or St. Peter or somebody, because whatever you've been taught. And so a lot of times your experience is what you expect it to be. And... and if, like Dave said, if you touch something and you burn yourself the first time and that memory is there, remember, all of your past life memories are there. So let's say you think you're having a vision, um, but you are misconstruing it as um, being abducted from your body. And that vision is horrible. Let's say you're burning and you're on fire and it's a terrible ordeal. Is it possible that in your past life that that's exactly what did happen to you? We normally go back to the adversity during those lives. It's the first thing that surfaces because it's horrific. And a lot of times when people do have a past life regression, what surfaces first? The lives where something horrible happened that they need to work through. So, the trauma. Yeah, the trauma. Um, I mean, we, I re, we regressed a friend of ours who was having some issues um, being around people. She always got panicky and we took her back to a life where she was actually in um, a sweatshop where they um, it was a sewing place and the place was set on fire. There were mobs of people. She couldn't get out of it. Um, and after she understood what that was, um, you know, it was easier for her to deal with it. So if you have a vision of that where you're burning and you're on fire, it doesn't mean that you went to hell. It doesn't mean that. Um, you know, because there is no hell. It doesn't mean you went to hell. It means that you could be reliving a past life memory. I had Dr. Eben Alexander on, the neurosurgeon who had the NDE, and we discussed that long-term memories are, and I think he called it, are stored in the quantum hologram. And he even sure. said that you can cut out any part of the brain and you will not lose long-term memory. And we're also talking about all these past life memories are stored somewhere because we're getting them. What mm -hmm. is your take on that? The soul. 
yeah, we call it the soul. Some people will call that consciousness, which is probably what he's sort of referring to. Some part of us is non-material. Um, this is kind of a different thing, but I'm sometimes I read the quantum mechanics and quantum physics work trying to figure out where that relates. And what Isabella said is, you know, of course, in quantum physics, they say reality is created by the observer. And Isabella says, it's not that reality is created by the observer. Observer is just another word for witness. So you're actually witnessing reality by how you perce perceive it, which is how it starts to give you impressions on your mind. But once the mind converts it, the receptors are sight, hearing, taste, smell, touch, all those things. Once, once we receive them into the brain, the brain places it in consciousness, into, into our existence that exists, whether we're physical or not. And so that consciousness is that is that extension of us over time. Now, as Alexander would say, that quantum field, the consciousness, which some people call the flow of consciousness, that's flowing from the beginning of time through now. Most of us with a religious background would say that's the soul, because somehow that consciousness that exists before this life during this life and after this life exists and only and is only attached to us through some sort of receptor, you know, where there were the radio antenna, if you want to call our physical body, the radio antenna, it, it attaches to that and becomes part of us in this life. And we need that because otherwise we have no shared experience. Do you think that we'll ever come back and not have to deal with karma? Like we'll just come back to pleasure. I think that's a, Great question. Again, if you talk to those with NDEs and you talk to most people who have past life memories, most of them say they don't want to come back. And in fact, if you talk to a lot of people, one of the driving forces in humanity is that we feel strange in this world. It's another reason people sometimes say, I must have been from another planet because I don't belong here. Yeah. But the reality is they don't belong here because they all started in a non-physical realm, the place that many people experience as heaven or with source or with God, that positive, all-loving experience. When we're apart from that, it feels abnormal. And so when we finally get off the wheel of karma and get to return to that, we actually are returning home, returning to what's normal. And we had all these experiences and we've overcome all the karma. I mean, we have to overcome adversity. It makes us feel successful. We have to learn all these different experiences from both sides so we have compassion. Also, if, you, if your communication is not through a physical sense, if it's telepathy, it's really by pictures and thought. If you have no experience, you have no thought or picture to share with someone else's consciousness in a non-physical world. 
So we need physical experience. That's one of the purposes we're here so that in the non-physical realm, we can continue to experience because we have the memories of love, of overcoming, of conceit, jealousy, selfishness, and unforgiveness. And we have all the lessons of compassion. So when we return back to that heavenly realm or the unseen realm or the spiritual world, whatever you want to call that non-physical existence, we can now communicate and share with each other. All right. Well, we're running out of time. So before we go, I wanted to talk about your two books. Uh, I believe your first one is called The Gift of Past Lives with Mother Isabella, God, and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? And can you tell us a little bit what that book is about? Um, that was that was our first book. Um, it talks about our experience with meditating, 20 of our lives. There's actually a little vignette in the back of that book. On the front cover of the book, there's a red ruby ring. It belonged to me in my last life. It's an exact replica. My great, 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 great granddaughter wears it on her finger today, which she doesn't know anything about us. We know about her. Um, But in the back, um, that red ruby stone that was first carved out of marble in Scotland in, was it the 900s, Dave? Yep, 986, I think. There's a story about it. It changed hands 34 times. Um. In conceit, jealousy, selfishness, and unforgiveness, but now portions of it um, are being um, owned in love. Our great-great-great-granddaughter's one. I have two portions of that ring now. Um, That story's in the back. Our second book, Hell No Reincarnation, again, was our reconciliation between our Catholic upbringing, what we learned through reincarnation and our experiences, and seven additional of our stories. We actually have two more books, the manual, and the manual is exactly what you think it is. It is Isabella dictating to us how God makes us through our astrological sign, our trait, and our archetype. We have one of our lives weaved through that, as well as six stories of well-known figures in history. We have three of their consecutive lives showing what they did. Um, with their karma, whether they overcame it, like Cleopatra is one of them. And of course, these are not things that can be corroborated through history. These are This is information that Isabella gave directly to Dave. And then our final uh, book, our fourth book, is called, it's our first ever, it's a historical love story. It's called Herhuba and His Rose. Um, it's just published. It's about an itinerant preacher uh, during the um, second temple period um and for Dave, your, do you want to yeah for for your listeners the second temple period if they don't know jewish history is the time between zero and 70 a.d or it's actually a little before that but basically the story is written at the time of jesus uh and it's a it's a really fun emotional power-packed love story filled with love and lots of lessons. Now, in your book, The Manual, do you talk about pyramids and mythological gods as well? Not exactly, but that's a. But there are some hints to some of those issues, mm-hmm. and we do talk a lot about sacred geometry, the dodecahedron. There's actually some science 
ideas out there that the universe is somewhat shaped like a dodecahedron. The dodecahedron is a very interesting shape. It's 12-sided with five-sided. Each side has five points. It's a very unique, very strange-shaped crystal that when you stack it on top of each other has no void, which makes it very unique. And uh, it's actually, you, God used that to create part of the universe and part of the grid where all the souls stay when they're not here. Uh, it's, it's all explained in, in the book, the manual. And the 12-sided thing becomes important because there's a lot of 12s and 12 zodiacs, 12 um, traits. traits. And those are all discussed in the book on how you're created and designed. And it lets you self-evaluate if you've got issues in this world. All right. Before we go, you've mentioned astrology twice now. How does astrology fit in all of this? Well, your angel, your your first angel that's assigned to you by God is in direct correlation with your astrological sign. In other Which words. Is in correlation to your karma. Yes. At least one of your karmic debts. So let's say in a past life, you were very selfish. In this life, God gave you the angel of selfishness right off the bat to help you, help you overcome. So God does not send us without tools. Even though we don't have those memories, we are given tools. We're given tools in our um, astrological sign with the angel. And, and you know, we, we all have our good and bad points. When you read the manual, we even say in that book, don't read your astrological sign and think, oh, I am a no good person because we all have our good points and our bad points. We've all been saints and sinners, I like to say. And then with our traits and with our elements, um, these are all meant by God to help us, to assist us, to follow the, the best path, positive choices versus negative choices to get back. Mm. That's what we're trying to do, all of us. You said that there are 12 personality traits. So is, Correct. So a personality trait is assigned with an astrological sign? Correct. And it, it sounded like that they're negative traits because you said selfishness and... Okay. The, they're all related to your karmic issues. Mm -hmm. And so... Karma's not negative. Karma is positive. Yes. But so you could have... A selfish issue in the past, so that will depend on when you're born. You could have a, a trait, and, and I'll give you an example. There's a trait called the squirrel, and the squirrel is always, always busy and never pays attention to anyone else. So you might be given that trait. However, you might also be given uh, an archetype which are somewhat like Jung's archetypes, not exactly the same, but sort of that way, if, if you know any of uh, Jung's archetypes. But so you could become a hero so that you rescue someone you did not rescue in a past life. So you could have some tech, some of those along with your, your zodiac sign, which would be how a karma you're trying to get rid of and God's giving you an angel to help you specifically. And then you could have a trait that makes you, let's say, a squirrel, which makes you never stop. 
So you might want, so you'll keep working at overcoming whatever the issue is you have to face. And so like you, most manuals, reading the manual is not a novel. Reading the manual is just like a manual. You have to stop, think, and evaluate while you're reading it. Hmm. It's not a quick and easy read. Okay, one last question on that. Um, are you saying that with each zodiac sign, is there a corresponding trait, like all Virgos are selfish or, or need to work on their selfishness, or they're interdependent of each other? Actually, Virgos um, have a tendency to be jealous. So they have an angel from Raphael's legion, and that happens to be he's the green angel. Um, Jealous doesn't mean in this life, maybe in the last life you were jealous. So God wants to make sure. It's like a double test. I'll make you a Virgo again. Let's see how you do. And you can overcome it. I know people that are Virgos and they don't act jealous in the least. All right. We'll just have to leave it at that and let people read the manual and figure it out for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff, if people are looking... An easy one is they can just go to our website, which mm. is thegiftofpastlives.com. Certainly there's links to all the book and there's information on us and they can, people can contact us if they would like to. All right. All well, those are available on the website. I was just going to ask that, but you beat me to it. <laughs> all right. Well, before we finish up, can you guys leave us with one last positive message? Well, my positive message is remember during COVID, a lot of the little guys have been affected. So if you do try to order our books, remember the little guy. You don't have to go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. They certainly are there to purchase. But if you can go to the little guy, please use the little guy. Your local bookstore can still order mm -hmm. our books. Yes. Now, the other the other message, Jeff, is one of just general consideration with karma realize that you're going to come back again if you do some things that wrong now we have this world where we're using up all the resources we're polluting it we're not taking care of it you know we try to tell people please try to take care of this world you're leaving it to your children realize you're leaving it to yourself also and maybe we can take care of it yeah, that's a great idea. Well, guys, thank you so much for being my guest. This conversation could have went on a lot longer, but I was restricted by time. If you write another book, be sure to come back so we can continue. Thank you. It would be our pleasure, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Thank All you very much. We enjoyed being on. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Happy you too. New Year. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.